Good morning, church. Thank you, Chris and choir. Uh, God is good, and we are blessed. Amen. All the time. Amen. (laughs) Well, today, uh, December 17th, is the 120th celebration of, does anybody know? Okay, not this church. Our church's birthday, we're 117 years old as of last Wednesday, but it's the 120th anniversary of... Kitty Hawk, yeah, man's first flight uh, on uh, December 17th, 1903, Orville and Wilbur, Wilbur Wright uh, made their first motorized airplane flight at Kitty Hawk, and first flight lasted about 12 seconds. Uh, they did another one, it was 57 seconds long. Well, after that, they, they went to the uh, telegraph office and sent the following telegraph back home. This was just a portion of it. It read, success, four flights. Longest 57 seconds, inform press, home for Christmas. Well, someone ran to the local newspaper and said that this would be great uh, to get into the news, and the, uh, the editor said he would, he would be sure to get, in, to get on that. Well, two days later, December 19th, uh, the headline read on the sixth page, Wright Brothers Home for Christmas. <laughs> Talk about missing the most important news of the year, you know, uh, something that changed the world, literally. Uh, Man's first flight, and the editor missed it. God in human flesh, born among us to save us from sin and death. This is the most important news in history. It changes everything, yet how many... How many people edit the Christmas story, even miss it completely? Jesus' coming gets sentimentalized, consumerized, marginalized, maybe even excised by the press, if not buried on the sixth page. As we ponder having a better Christmas, uh, certainly not missing out on what what is better, uh, we come today to the story of Mary, and uh, she obviously experienced the best Christmas ever. She gave birth uh, to Jesus. But she also experienced the better life. And that is a life that we can know as well. So let's look at this from uh, Luke's gospel. We have some readers here. Come on up. The Shermerhorns are going to read from Luke 1, beginning verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called holy, the Son of God. 
Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Thank you. God interrupted Mary's life. He is the interrupting God, in fact. And he interrupted her life, making a complete makeover uh, of the life she was creating for herself. Uh, Think of the the before and after here. Before Gabriel appeared, uh, Mary's life was centering around her husband-to-be, Joseph. After Gabriel appeared, her life is going to center around Jesus. Before Gabriel, she was planning a wedding. Afterward, she has an unplanned pregnancy, Jesus. Before uh, Gabriel, she was telling everybody she wanted a house full of kids. Afterward, she was going to have to deal with a house full of rumors and insinuations. How will she convince others that she was not an adulteress and that this child, Jesus, was of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, Mary had a good life in the making, um, and boy, did Jesus interrupt it. <laughs> For the better, for a better life than she could craft for herself. Uh, We shouldn't gloss too quickly over how Mary struggled here uh, initially. Uh, The angel's greeting greatly troubled her. That's what the text says. Uh, What it means is it. it, uh, She was tremendously perplexed. She was confused, and she was afraid. I mean, that the angel Gabriel tells her not to be afraid is because she was afraid. In the Bible, when an angel appears, my guess is if an angel appeared to you suddenly, uh, you would have a similar uh, experience. You'd be afraid because it means big changes are on the horizon. You know, maybe what have I done? You know, what's going to happen to me? And when angels give their messages, they never give all the details, do they? They never do. They leave out so much. There's always so many unknowns. And the biggest unknown for Mary, which she at least asks about, but she's puzzled about, it's this conceiving thing. You know, I'm going to be with child when I've never been with a man and have no intention of before marriage? I mean, a child out of wedlock is what she's facing here. But also a child conceived exactly how? The Holy Spirit? Who's going to believe that? You know, Joseph didn't at first. The reality that Mary is staring at here is that she is going to be misunderstood in her community. Others are going to judge her, look down on her, perhaps uh, shun her. I mean, virgin births, we got to admit, they're kind of rare, right? You know? <laughs> We're not talking one in a million. We're talking one. Her life from here on out was going to be defined and marked by Jesus. He changes everything. Uh, Ken Pretty, a fellow EPC minister, he was actually a, a retreat speaker for us years ago. Um, and early in his adult life, he was a, he was a nightclub performer, uh, very talented on the, on the piano. And then he met Jesus, and Jesus changed everything. And Ken's response was this, Jesus ruined my career. <laughs> ruined my career. Well, God 
in Jesus, you know, intersects our plans, bisects them, and redirects us all with a very different life. You know, how, how, is, how has the Lord done that for you? I mean, have you ever had the conversation, just sat around talking with others about how different your life would be if you had never met Jesus? Who would you be? What would be filling your life? What would be of importance, really, if it wasn't Jesus? How has Jesus ruined your career <laughs> for the better? Well, Jesus ruined Mary's career for the better uh, and with a better life. And, and I want to be really clear about what that better life is. We're, we're not talking Joel Osteen, our best life now. Better health, better finances, better opportunities, better presence under the tree. The better life is Jesus, knowing him. And that's not necessarily a safe life or a known path. I mean, Jesus complicates Mary's life with huge unknowns. No doubt there are multiple questions. I mean, just put yourself in Mary's shoes there. You probably have a thousand questions. How's this? What, what about? And there are not a lot of details given. And yet she makes one of the most remarkable statements. I think this is, this is the statement of, of true discipleship. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me as you have said. She offers the Lord a blank sheet of paper for her life and says, Lord, you write on it whatever you want for my life. You know, the only way she could say that, the only way she could give herself to, to such the un, of the unknown here is by fixing her heart on the one who is known. See, the better life is not about what we get. It's about who we get. The Lord in our life. And consider, secondly, uh, who Mary gets. The, the glorious God who is stepping into her life and that she just locks in on. She sees him as, first of all, the, the God of action. The God of action. Verse 26 tells us Gabriel was sent from God. Sent. We have an active, purposeful God. For 400 years, since the time of Malachi, the close of the Old Testament, there had not been a word from heaven. But now God acts, initiating his plan to bring the Savior into the world. God is not passive. He's not inactive. And when we think that he is, he's doing nothing in our circumstances, what, what we tend to do is run ahead of him, don't we? We try to make something happen. A better life is, is one that is locking in on the one who is with us, who is active and who is purposeful. And so we wait and we're attentive to him. And when you think about it, it's a really great way to live, isn't it? I mean, we go about our business, we, whatever we face at school, work, home, life. Lord, what are you up to here? We're just constantly waiting and attentive to the Lord in our circumstances. That's the posture of Mary's heart, waiting, attentive. She sees the God of action. But secondly, God is in her life as the God of power. She asks how she, a virgin, will conceive and bear a son since she's never been with a man and has no intention of before marriage. Her question 
it's the same words that Zechariah uses, and we looked at that last week, you know, how will this be? But her, her question here is not that of unbelief or doubt as Zechariah's was. I mean, she's just genuinely confused. How is this going to work out? I don't understand. And the Lord responds, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That, that is such a beautiful, delicate, powerful language. It is not like other ancient stories, God's coming down and raping women, having sex with women. There's there's something of beautiful mystery here. The Holy Spirit almost passing as a shadow over Mary. God works bafflingly with his power through his spirit to accomplish the otherwise impossible. And let me take just one little track with with the spirit here. It's significant how prevalent the Holy Spirit is in the Christmas story. The Holy Spirit is mentioned something like 90 times, 90 times in the Old Testament and over 250 times in the New Testament and in a much smaller body of literature, right? Well, in the Christmas story, Luke's version here, um, the Holy Spirit is mentioned four times in the first chapter, four times in the second chapter, two times in the third chapter, and then four times again in the fourth chapter. 14 references to the Holy Spirit just in the opening chapters of this gospel. And what this is declaring to us is that the promised age of the Spirit, where God sends a Spirit-filled Messiah and there will be a Spirit-filled people, that that age has begun with the coming of Jesus. And you read through uh, the opening chapters of Luke, God does nothing of spiritual significance with Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, John, or Jesus apart from the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit working in them. And the same is true now for you and me. We live in the age of the Spirit. It has been inaugurated with the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And thus, any work of God, any moving of God in our lives is not going to be by power and might, human power and might, but as God said, by my spirit. And so here's how we accomplish the assignments God gives us, by my spirit. And when it seems like what we're asked to do is impossible, not for God, For nothing is impossible with God, verse 37. If if God has called you to something that is overwhelming, it seems impossible to do or to handle. Sometimes we can become convinced that that nothing good's going to happen here, right? But we should be convinced that God, with a thousand different ways by the power of his spirit, though unknown to us, that God is able to move and work and help. And and if, if we don't, believe that about our God, then then he's nothing more than a dead idol. And we're practical atheists. Nothing is impossible with God. Well, Mary comes to understand this. The one stepping into her life, rearranging everything for the better, is a God of action, a God of power, but he's also the God of promise. 
You know, God, interestingly, tells, you know, through, the, through Gabriel, tells Mary what to put on Jesus' birth announcement. When, uh, when, you know, when our kids are born, um, you know, I, I don't know, mom, dad, how, how you announced it, but you might have run down the hall at the hospital, you know, greeting perfect strangers. It's a boy. It's a girl. <laughs> and we shout it to the world, don't we? Uh, we, we? We list out very proud of, you know, the height uh, and, and the weight, you know, maybe the amount of hair, the color of the eyes. And, and we let everybody know. But you know something we never put on a birth announcement? You, we, we would never see this. We would never put this on anything for our kids. We would never put something like introducing the future premier surgeon of the world who will cure cancer. We would never put on introducing the one who's going to sit in the Oval Office forever. We wouldn't do that. I mean, that's just pompous posturing on our part. But listen to what God says to put on Jesus' birth announcement. Son of the Most High. Holy, Son of God, throne of his father David, reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. In other words, Jesus is, is, is the fulfillment of, of the promises of God all through the Old Testament. He's the promised one, the, the one for whom God's people have been waiting for centuries. They were waiting for the king and the kingdom that Daniel 2 describes. The one that would dismantle all the other kingdoms and stand forever. They were looking for the kingdom ruled by the one whose name, Isaiah 9, would be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. They were looking for the government, uh, the one whose government and of peace, there would be no end. The one who would sit on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And this is Mary's son, Jesus. Well, imagine getting that birth announcement in the mail. He's here, the Savior King of the world. Wow. Let it be to me, as you have said, why would she say anything other? Considering who has stepped into her life, the God of action, the God of power, the God of promise. But there's one other glorious thing Mary sees about this God who has come to her and who is in her life that undergirds her and, and I believe why she gives herself so unreservedly to the Lord. And it's that he's also the God of love. Gabriel says to Mary, verse 28, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Favored one. Um, is, there, is there a favored child in your family? Ooh, now, now we're on some dangerous, uh, you know, hurtful territory. Um, <laughs> you, know, you know, sadly, some parents do favor one child over the other, but, but most parents I know, they love all their kids, and they would, they would lay down their life for any of their children. But, you know, kids get this notion that, you know, ah, oh, you got a bigger piece of cake for dessert. Mom loves you more, you know. Oh, you got more presents than I did under the tree, you know. They love you more than they love me. Do you think God has favorites in his family? Now, if, if you think that he does, um, <laughs> Tony's saying it's me, <laughs> him, yeah. 
<laughs> we got a fight on our hands here already, you know, sibling squabbling here, you know. <laughs> but, you know, if, if you think that God has favorites, probably, you know, if you're not on the front row here, you're probably thinking, yeah, and it's not me. But actually, God does have favorites. He does. <laughs> now, you might be led to think that it's Mary. I mean, greetings, O favored one. But actually, God's favored status is on every one of his children. Everyone. How do we know that? Because this same word spoken to Mary is used one other time in the New Testament, and that's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul is speaking about how God, in love, predestined us for adoption according to the purpose of his will. For a, predestined us for adoption, in other words, to be brought into his family as his children, okay? So that's what we're looking at, children here. We are his children. Adopted predestined for the adoption according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. It's not, it's not anything we've done, it's all his grace, okay? With which, that grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And it's that word blessed, same word spoken to Mary. We could translate it this way, with which he has favored us in the beloved. If you are in Jesus, you are a favored one. God's full favor, his unconditional love, his complete blessing rests upon you. Give yourself a Christmas present this year from God to believe this about yourself, that you are one of his favorites. That's how amazing his love is for you and for me. But perhaps even better than that, <laughs> catch again the second half of Gabriel's greeting. The Lord is with you. I mean, this really is the main message of Christmas. God with us, God with you. I mean, this truth is absolutely life-transforming. This is what the better life is. God with you. Sky Jitani, uh, in his book, With, writes about how we've switched the core of our Christian faith and identity from with to for. We think of ourselves, and uh, in light of how effective we are, uh, we think of ourselves as, you know, how effective am I for God? You know, that's, that's the switch. We base our significance and even our sense of God's love based on what we've done for God. But when mission for God, which is important, okay? But when mission for God becomes the central core of our identity rather than the relationship with God, that actually ends up destroying relationship. I mean, who could ever do enough? How could we be sure? How could we know we've arrived? What if we fail? And so many Christians are plagued by this false gospel of God expects better of me. And of course, we know we failed, right? And so God must just be perpetually disappointed with us. Phil Vischer, the creator of VeggieTales, a wildly popular Christian series you know, 
cartoon vegetables, you know, Bob the tomato, Larry the cucumber. Um, in explaining his motivation for creating the series, Vischer said that the heroes that were celebrated in his community growing up were what he called the, the Rockefellers of the Christian world. You know, the, these were the, the movers and the shakers, the entrepreneurs, the, 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 those who were effective, those who made huge impact for God. And that, that's what it was all about. And so this led Vischer to, to think that impact was everything. You know, what God really loved, and those God really loved, those he, he was in highly, high favor of, were those who, who did a lot for him. And so the pressure was on, right? How many more people have you invited to church this week? How many more souls have you won? How big is your church? How many this? How much that? Impact. But Vischer began questioning the validity of this life for God. And he wrote, quote, the more I dove into scripture, the more I realized that I have been deluded. I had grown up drinking a dangerous cocktail, a mix of gospel, the Protestant work ethic, and the American dream. The savior I was following seemed in hindsight, equal parts Jesus, Ben Franklin, and Henry Ford. My eternal value was rooted in what I did for God. Folks, that's a living hell. It's a setup for massive pride if we think we've done enough and crushing failure when reality sets in that we have not. Here again, the angel's greeting. And remember when it was spoken to Mary, it was spoken before she had done anything for God. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. It is all of grace. It is God and his love, not our love. And this greeting is not just for Mary, it is for us as well. In Jesus, the beloved, you are favored. And the Lord is with you, Christian. You know, Mary had Jesus physically within her body. But by the Spirit, we also have Christ. Not, not physically, but spiritually. He is, he is there. He is in us. He is for us. He is with us. This is the better life. This is real Christianity this is what Christmas is about, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what, what will it look like this week for you to live by the better life of Christ in you, Christ for you, Christ with you? What will it look like to go about life defined and marked by Jesus Christ? His action, his power, his promise, his love. You're focusing on him. Why would we want to respond in any other way? But that, let it be to me, as you have said. Amen.